in December of 1949, actually December the 16th of 1949, the New Yorker posted a short essay by the, the author of Charlotte's Web, E.B. White. And, and in this essay, E.B. White was lamenting how complex Christmas had become in this essay called The Distant Music of the Hounds. And White was basically saying what should have been a simple message of hope and the spirit of giving was complicated not just by the commercialization, but the complexity of what had the Christmas season had become. I mean, can anybody relate to that? Here we are 70 years later. And he basically was saying the heart of Christmas and the message that made it great was being overshadowed by all the bright lights and the shiny packaging that it had kind of become Christmas. And here's what he said. Honestly, this is one of the best things I've read in a long time. I'm not going to read the whole essay, but I do wish I had like a big, booming British accent to read this in. I just, it just, I feel like it demands it. But anyway, this is what you're going to get to hear as we read this. It's, it's the best I'll do. Here's what he wrote. To perceive Christmas through its wrapping becomes more difficult with every year. There was a little device we noticed in one of the sporting goods stores, a trumpet that hunters hold to their ears so that they can hear the distant music of the hounds. Something of this sort is needed now to hear the incredible distant sound of Christmas in these times through the dark material woods that surround it. Silent night, canned and distributed in thundering repetition in department stores has become one of the greatest of all noisemakers, almost like the rattles and whistles of election night. The miracle of Christmas is that, like the distant and very musical voice of the hound, it penetrates finally and becomes heard in the heart. Over so many years, through so many cheap curtain raisers, it's not destroyed even by all the arts and the craftiness of the destroyers. Having an essential simplicity that is everlasting and triumphant at the end of confusion. Christmas in 1949 must compete as never before with the dazzling complexity of man whose tangential desires and ingenuities have created a world that gives any simple thing the look of obsolescence as though there was something inherently foolish in what is simple or natural. You can hear E.B. White's lament in this, and, and, and he captured something good and right about the Christmas story in this little short essay he wrote. It is its simplicity that allows it to penetrate through the tinsel and the lights and the shiny packages and the thousand Hallmark movies and the busyness and all the things that we, we actually look forward to a lot of times at Christmas in this season. It's, and it actually, these, there's these things that attempt to become distractions and they're good things. But it's, it's so far past the simple message of Jesus Christ, God come to earth in the flesh, born of human to save his people from their sins. And White's famous sentence that opened this article, this, this essay, to perceive Christmas through its wrapping becomes more difficult every year. It bears a sense of truth, and, the, and one of the ways, as White put it, to hear the simple music of the hounds is to consider the simple message of Christmas that penetrates all the wrapping, all the complexity that was actually wrapped himself. So look 
to chapter, uh, Luke chapter 2 this morning. We're going to spend a little time in just a few verses of Luke 2. In Luke 2, verse 10, we could probably all quote this. It's one of the most famous Christmas passages out there. And the angel said to them, fear not, this is the shepherds he's speaking to, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, I want us to consider the angel's message. This is, the angels tells the shepherds, he, he brings a message of joy, not just for the shepherds. This message of joy is for all people. And the message is that we have nothing to fear when God moves in grace. The shepherds see the angels, they're terrified. And he says, fear not. God's moving in grace. He has graced you with the Messiah. And he, he provided a Savior, Christ the Lord, a deliverer, this Messiah that was prophesied, the same Savior that Mary celebrated in her song of praise, which is what Rick was going to preach about this morning. With, and, and Zacharias prophesied, prophecy when he said, praise the Lord, O God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior for the royal line of his servant David just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago, now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. And then the angel gives a strange message in verse 12. And this is where I want us to focus. The angel says, and this will be a sign of the Messiah, a sign that God in the flesh, Savior of the world has come. This is the sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, and lying in a manger. That's an odd sign. I don't consider that a sign. What, what sign would you expect if an angel showed up and said, the Savior of the world is here, here's the sign, you'll know it's this baby. What would you expect? I know what I would expect. Fire in the sky, all the trees and grass blooms all the same in the middle of winter, you know. Something. Fireworks? For the first time ever in history? Something. No. Here's the sign. There's going to be a swaddled baby in a manger. And you'll know. What kind of sign is that? But the sign of an infant, it just seems, it just seems too simple. It's too boring. I mean, give me lights. Give me music and parties and chestnuts roasting on an open fire and mistletoe and eggnog and snow and kellers and sleigh bells and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. Right? Flying reindeer. Invisible men down chimneys. Looking around the room, make sure I didn't give anything away. So. Uh, Give me more than a baby wrapped in a blanket in a feeding trough. But in this simple message, there's something here for us, this, this simplicity. And I could see 
why this sign mattered to the shepherds? Because they were there. They were a couple of miles away. That was how they would know they'd found the right baby. But there's a, this same sign can be a sign of deliverance for us today. And the question is, how is it going to help us? How is it going to serve us as a congregation, as, a, as believers, or even non-Christians as we navigate life? See, swaddling, it's been happening a long time. I mean, a long time. The practice of swaddling worldwide crosses cultural lines. It can be traced to the earliest civilizations. Archaeologists little, find, literally find little carvings of little babies in swaddling clothes. And, and picturing a swaddle baby, it's easy for us, right? We see it all the time. The newborn's handed to the mom by the nurse who just wrapped the little boy or girl in the blanket with the pink or blue stripes on it, depending on which, you know, if it's a boy or girl. And it pops up in our social media feeds and we hit like or comment, congrats, you know, awesome new family. And, and we see this all the time, these, these swaddled babies. And it's a great moment for a family. And swaddling something we do, it just seems right. I mean, it makes sense. But, and for millennia, parents believed that wrapping infants tightly in these blankets helped their limbs grow stronger. It helped comfort them. In fact, Scripture talks about unswaddled babies in a very, very negative light. It, it actually talks about babies who are unswaddled, have been, they're abandoned and uncared for. In fact, Ezekiel 16.4 says, as for you, your birth, this is God using a metaphor for Israel. He says, and as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. You were abandoned. Now, I wasn't really paying attention as a kid on whether they were swaddling, moms were swaddling babies when I was growing up. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. I, I have to admit, I, I, um, I don't remember if we swaddled our kids. I mean, Maddie's 14, so that, that sh- I should remember that. All that means is apparently I never did the wrapping. Uh, that's really all that means, you know. I probably towed it around a swaddled Maddie and Grace and Aaron, I assume. But, you know, swaddling's kind of making a comeback. There's debates on the perfect way to wrap the blanket and YouTube vi- videos on it and all kinds of stuff. And were you aware, though, that swaddling kind of fell out of fashion in the 18th, 19th, early 19th centuries? I wasn't. It came under scrutiny because physicians believed that the tightness of the binding wasn't healthy. Like the babies needed freedom to move around and all this kind of stuff. It's kind of like the shoes in the 50s and 60s that they put on the babies and said, if we put these shoes, it'll help the babies. Come to find out, it actually made things worse. You remember the little baby, the little baby orthopedic baby shoes? Y'all remember those? Yeah. If you're under 40, you have no idea what I'm talking about, probably. There are pediatricians today that talk about the pros and cons of swaddling. I didn't know there were cons, so I had to look it up. And I thought about it. What are the cons? I mean, you know, there's like hip displacement and some other things like that. But actually what I got to thinking about was what was it be like for Jesus? God in the flesh has come to earth and he's been swaddled. Now, I can imagine Jesus in the manger and his arms and legs straining against the blanket. What, what's it like for a baby, particularly this baby, God incarnate, unable to move in any direction, held fast by this baby straitjacket, right? 
What, what, what would it have been like to have his, to be shrunk and narrowed into this, this little ball? And you might be sitting there wondering if I'm not possibly like overthinking the swaddling thing, right? But I'm not. I'm not. I'm convinced I'm not. Because this is what crossed my mind. This was the sign that the angel proclaimed would be what you want to look for, a swaddled baby in a manger. And it wasn't just any baby, this baby, now wrapped like a present, bound in blankets, placed in the manger. This was Christ the Lord, God in the flesh, born of a virgin. And it's here. It was right here, looking at this text, this simple sign where it was, it was like a light appeared in the darkness, this small detail that transformed this little sign into a personal sign. Because I no longer just saw a baby in a blanket, but a God who entered into my boundness, who entered into my restrictions, my limitations, my liabilities as a human, who actually shared in the understanding of all we describe as human experience. This swaddled babe, at his advent, was in fact a small metaphor for the entire life of Jesus Christ. As the son became flesh and bones, he experienced profound limitation in himself. Jesus Christ, the word, the creator, outside of time, comes and allows the universe to close in around him, to restrict him within space and time. That's what Philippians 2.7 is talking about when it says he emptied himself, he assumed the form of the servant, and he took on the likeness of humanity. Having a body, just having a body for God in the flesh was binding. He was swaddled. He was swaddled in his own body. It contained the almighty God in an unnatural dimension and confinement. And even when Jesus faced his greatest ordeal, which was the cross, we're given the detail that he was bound and remained bound from there, from one trial to the other. It says, so the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers, they arrested Jesus and they bound him. And then Ananias bound him. Caiaphas took him to the high priest. He was bound. He was bound to the cross by nails They took the place of the ropes and the restraints. But it wasn't the binding of the nails that kept him on the cross. He could have willingly walked away from the cross. But it was his willingness to remain there, to be fully immobilized on our behalf because he was also bound to the will of the Father. And what was the will of the Father? John 6 tells us the will of the Father. This is the will of my Father that everyone who sees the Son believes in him and will have eternal life. And I'll raise him up at the last day. Christ was bound from the day he got to the earth, whether it was a blanket or his body. And and because of that, we can see Christ and he can see us in a way, connect with us in a way that would have never happened if he had not come in the flesh. There's a point in our lives when when we collide with the limits of our own humanity. Like Christ, we find ourselves bound. It may be through overwhelming anxiety. There's a list, eating disorders. Maybe it's a a stifling experience of a job where, where you feel like they just don't ever use you. It could be a broken family system that for 
many reasons you just can't get out of. Maybe past choices and consequences of those choices that still choke you and bind you. You can't get away from those. It might be an identity crisis, mental illness. It might be struggles with sexual sin, addictions that you just you feel powerless to control. It might be passivity. Ever consider passivity binding? Where you just let so many things go that you should confront, but instead you hide and you avoid them because of fear or many other things. Or the loss of someone you feel you can't live without. We all suffer inescapable realities tied to sin and its fallout in this broken world. And through a creation that was bound by a curse of sin, even creation finds itself bound. And we can relate to the psalmist when he describes the cords of death and the grave calling around him. He said, the cords of death encompass me. And the torrents of destruction have assailed me. And the cords of Sheol, they entangled me. And the snares of death confronted me. And so the simple image of Jesus... God's gift to us being wrapped in clothes. It comforts me with the truth that he understands my own bindings, my own mind, and my own heart, my own soul, as a, in a way that would have never happened if it had not been for him coming to earth as a human. Someone who has a shared experience. The, the concept of Emmanuel, God with us, takes on an entire new meaning when you think about it through the concept of a swaddled Savior. And Christ is our rescuer who knows what we've been through because he went through it himself. And Danny read it this morning in Psalm 91. It says, I will say concerning the Lord who is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He himself, he himself will rescue you from the bird trap, from the destructive plague. He'll cover you with his feathers. You will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. I mean, this is an incredibly vivid picture of rescue from being released from the, from the snare of the, the, the bird catcher. You've been confined. You've been trapped. And, and Jesus Christ releases us from that trap. On that first Christmas morning, God himself becomes the bird, stepping into the trap and saving us from our own sin and our own choices. He joins us when we're caught. He subjects himself to the confinement of being human, and that's the heart of the gospel, and it's happening right there in the manger in Luke 2. A swaddled Savior. This is the sign. A wrapped baby in a manger. But Christ didn't stay bound. He was freed at the resurrection. That's the one last time. There's one last time in Scripture we find Christ bound. At the end of his earthly life, Jesus was laid in the tomb. And his body was taken from the cross, was laid in the tomb of Joseph, wrapped, bound in linens and spices, which would have been their method of embalming. However, this time around, the story ends with the image of these claws being loosed, this, this, this wrapping being loosed, left behind in the tomb, set aside by the risen Christ. We see him come to earth bound, we see him leave the earth free. Peter rose and he ran to the tomb and he stooped in and he looked and he saw the linen clothes by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. Jesus wasn't there. The only thing left were those bindings. And now, 
The gift is revealed. It's been opened. The gift is now fully ours. The wrapping's discarded. And he broke the power of the bindings that held him in a death grip and emerged in complete and total victory and freedom. And this is the hope that I came to realize. I look at this little sign in the manger. It's no small thing to say that Jesus identified with humanity. He joins us in our own confinement. For me, I need a Savior who understands my struggles. I need a Savior who understands things in a personal way. But it's, it's a far greater wonder that he promises a glorious freedom for our own swaddling, our own binding. One day, these, these, this messed up, overweight body standing up here is going to be freed from sin once and for all. And I look forward to the day when we... I'm going to leave that behind. I'm done. I'm out. The day when we can fully take in the greatness of the gift of God himself, no longer veiled, no longer hidden. 1 Corinthians 13 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall fully know as I've been fully known. Jesus' life began and ended in fetters. And who's better to understand ours than him? He spent his life on earth bound. He was bound in his body at the incarnation. He took on the form of man and limited himself to humanity. He was bound in blankets, literally. That's what the shepherds found. He was bound to the cross, nailed there, to take on our sin and become a sacrifice because he was bound to the will of the Father. The will of the Father that said, everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. But he was freed at the resurrection, bindings loosed. No longer captive to a physical body and resurrected as a sign that the Father was indeed satisfied. Now, resurrection, that's my kind of sign. Resurrection from the dead, there you go. There's a sign for you. And that's our story. We come to earth born under a curse, bound by our own sin nature. And we find ourselves slaves to it, literally in chains by our sin. And it weighs on us and it keeps us, it holds us down. It keeps us from even understanding freedom. We just think we have freedom. But just as Christ was freed at the resurrection, so are we if we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Our freedom in this life and the life to come only comes through Jesus Christ. There's no freedom without Christ. E.B. White continued in his essay that we started with, talking about man's inventions and complexities and even man's attempts at improvement have an odd way of leading back to man itself. Man, man thinks he's actually headed somewhere, but like a rabbit that just runs in circles. He takes off running, and he ends up back where he started. Here's what he wrote. It's one of the more endearing qualities that man should think he tracks leading outward towards something instead of back around the hill where he'd already been. And that's the problem with man, mankind. 
was we don't understand freedom. We're like a rabbit. We take off running in our own way. We find we're right back in the same mess we started in. We turn around and say, how did I, did, I just left here. But Christ came to actually lead us outward and lead us onward, away from our own ideas about how to break out of our bindings, our own ideas that keep leading us back to where we started. So today, do your best over the next, well, we got 10 days left in the holiday season. I guess if you count New Year's longer, 20 days-ish. What's the day, the 15th, 16 days? If you count college football, it gets a little longer. <laughs> Do your best to get out of the holiday circle. Remember during this Christmas the simple message of a swaddled Savior who was freed from his own bindings and frees you from yours. Look, at the, look past the complexity of the season to the freedom that comes in accepting the gift of salvation provided through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray.